So, I, from what I understand, we have a series going on, and it's called the Spiritual Warfare um, Sermon Series. Does that sound about right? That's what we've been talking about. And today, we're going to be talking about the sword of the Spirit, and that would be from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And if we read it together, it says the following in the NASB version. Um, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pretty simple, yeah? Pretty simple. Uh, it tells you what the sword is. It tells you that the sword is the Word of God. It's the Bible. You've already heard about, you know, the spiritual warfare and what that's all about. The belt of truth, the righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. And all those pieces of armor, if you will... They are defensive in nature. They are meant to defend you, to defend a Christian from the attacks of the devil. Now when you get to Ephesians 6, 6, 17, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The interesting thing about a sword is that it has two functions. It is, one, it is defensive. It is to protect you if somebody's coming at you. So you're not just standing there full of armor and somebody's just beating at you and waiting for, uh, for you to fall apart. It's to protect you defensively, one, to keep somebody, you know, at arm's length and then some. And then it is also meant to be used to attack or to, um, as an offensive weapon. And before we talk about that, a little more detail... I want to go and talk about the purpose of a spiritual fight. There you go. When you come to a fight, when you come to a fight, any fight in your life, right? You got to prepare and you got to stand strong. Um, back in my days when I was in school, I had I was taking four classes at once in college, 21 credits, and one of the classes I was taking was an anatomy class. I don't know if you guys have took an anatomy class. I'm sure some of you have. But it's a very difficult class to get a 4.0 in. And uh, there was a time in my life when I was, I don't know, 17, 18, I went to school. I didn't do really well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I failed a class or two. I went on my merry way. Um, I worked one job, I worked a second job. While I was working my job, I realized I didn't like what I was doing. One, I didn't like the pay that I was getting, too. And so I figured that I needed to do something. And I, the, what I figured I needed to do is go to school. But the only way I was going to go to school and get into the program that I was going to get into was to get really good grades. Half of getting in is your grades. So I figured, you know, people say you have to get at least a 3.6, a 3.7 to get in. But I knew that wasn't good enough because the other 50% was was writing and this and that and I know I wasn't super super great at that so I'm like I got to get the grades because I, I was I was scared of going back to where I was I'm like I didn't want to do this and so what I figured is that this teacher gave us gave us a packet a study packet every two weeks and we'd have a test every single two weeks and that was a challenge because it was a hard packet I didn't know a lot of the terms terminology the anatomy terminology that was on there and so when I was studying, I would come to a word, I'd look at the word, and I didn't know what it meant. So I would take, you know, Google or Bing or the dictionary and look up what the word meant. 
but I also didn't know the words that were meant to define the word that I was looking up. So I had to look up the words that described the term that I was trying to look up. So it was really hard for me. But here's what I figured. Here's how I could win and beat every test and get a 4-0. Is I took that packet and I never, and I, you, you know, I don't know if I come from a family that doesn't have a good memory or I think I don't have a good memory sometimes. But I made myself, with three other classes plus this one, memorize about 12 to 15 pages of like 12 font um, shrift by heart. To the point where I'd give my wife these 15 pages, I'd pace in the library for hours and hours memorizing this stuff. Stuff I, could, I didn't know the words, I didn't know the definitions, nothing. I would give it to my wife and then I would just basically read everything, read the whole thing. And here's, here's the funny part, that I had the whole thing memorized by heart, like just every two weeks. It was hard, but I did it because I, I didn't want to go back. And when it came time to do the test, um, I came a little bit late to class. Everybody was already taking the test. So I sat down. People were looking at me. He gave me the test. I'm glad I, he gave me the test. I started looking at the questions. Before I finished reading the question, I knew what the answer was because I just memorized the whole thing and his taste was, test was based on his notes. It was, I can say word for word, but it was so close. I took the test, I finished before everybody, although I started later than everybody, and I got the highest grade in the class. What I'm saying is that you have to be prepared and you have to prepare yourself. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is a day of evil coming. If we read Ephesians 6.13, um, it says the following. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that the, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. There's a couple things going on. There's a day of evil coming into every single one of your lives, at one point or another. There's going to be a day, a week, a time of, you know, a season where there's going to be some kind of evil, something that's attacking you in your life. The Bible wants us to take a stand to figure out what we need to do so that the evil doesn't overtake us. And God has given us equipment so we can be successful. So that we can be successful. And it's not an if it's a when. It's like, we know, when it's fall and spring around here, it's not if it'll rain, it's a when it'll be raining. And one of those things. And we don't want to be washed out when that day does come. So we go to... That the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is a defensive and it is a offensive weapon. And one of the reasons is I would say that it's called the sword of the spirit and not just a sword is because the word of God, as the Bible says, is it is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, this word right here wasn't just written by man. It was written through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we can call this the sword of the spirit. It is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Before you get anywhere and before you start using it as armor, every one of us is held in chains, in, in chains of sin. 
And we need this word to come to us and to break those chains and have that sword hack away at those chains so we can be free. Have you guys ever, anybody been to Ocean Shores and been stuck? Nobody. Somebody. You guys are smiling. I know you've been stuck. Um, me and my wife, we were riding bikes at Ocean Shores and we see this car and it's like 20 feet into the water and we were kind of laughing like, you know, who would leave their car and go on a walk? Ha, ha, ha. And then uh, my parents came and we're driving, we're driving, my dad's driving behind us because we were going to go to a place and, and uh, have some hot dogs and all of a sudden my dad stops and I'm like, I wonder why he stopped and I just keep driving, I'm like, oh yeah, and then I get stuck. I'm like, oh, I know, I wonder why my dad stopped because he figured it out ahead. Um, that's us in life, we're stuck. And so the way you get unstuck is you find some guys, you put some doski, you put some wood under your tires, and you drive out and say, instead of paying somebody 10 bucks to get you out. So that's what the Word of God does, the sword. It is there, first of all, to get you unstuck from sin, from slavery of sin. And once you are free, you can take the same word, you can take the same sword, and use it to navigate through your life and to help yourself stand against the onslaught of the enemy. Talking about the goal of the enemy, we know the Bible says in, in John that the enemy or the thief is there to steal, kill, and to destroy. And does that by isolating you from the flock and then taking and then destroying your life. In other words, the enemy's goal is to take you away from God, to isolate you from God, to get you by yourself and then to systematically break down your life. Now, if we read Ephesians 6.11, it's an uh, interesting verse. It says that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And the reason this is interesting is that the devil has a strategy that he uses to attack us, to break us down. It's not, you know, just random, he's walking around, sees Dennis or Max or somebody else and says, yeah, why not? Let's, let, let's see where we can trip him up. He's got a strategy. He's got a plan. He's got an idea. There were, uh, has anybody ever been called by a scammer? Okay, all of you have been called by a scammer. So I'll tell you guys two stories about scammers. All happened to relatives of mine. The first scammer story was called to a young lady under the age of 30. And they said, um, so what happened was they have a small business and they sent in their paperwork, their tax paperwork, but they sent something wrong. So they resent the paperwork to the IRS. And she gets a call and says, hey, ma'am, you owe us tax money. And She's thinking this is, you know, in regard to them sending some, the, the paperwork over again and getting it wrong the first time. And she's like, okay. And they're like, but you have to pay it right now because we are watching you. And if you don't pay it right now, we're going to get you. Now, her husband wasn't home. She had a little baby and she really got scared, like really scared. So she's on the phone with these scammers, and they're like, you got to go right now, because we're watching you, we know where you live, and you know, the whole, the whole shebang. 
And then so she gets in her car and she drives off. Um, she doesn't go to wherever you pay the money. She actually goes to her um, in-laws and says, these people want money. Like, what do I do? Can you give us some money we need to pay? And so the mother-in-law was like, peek, just turned them off. And that was that. Was that. They have a strategy. They're calling people, and they're not just saying, hey, give us money. They have a certain way of doing it. Here's another story that happened not too long ago. Um, somebody I know got an email saying that we are doing an event, an appreciation event for the teachers. They went through this coronavirus thing. Can you help us out? Sure. Well, you know, what can I do for you? Can you go to the store? And buy a whole bunch of gift cards. Send us the, the what's the thing on the barcodes? On the back, of these, uh, the back of these gift cards to us. And we'll pay you back later. We just want to appreciate the teachers. They've got a way to get to scam people. And it worked. Because if it wouldn't work, they wouldn't do it. Um, I'm not going to say Amway is a scam, but... Somebody got me in a coffee shop once, and they started talking to me and said, hey, you, bro, you, you want to be rich? Sure. <laughs> what do I got to do? I can't tell you. Okay. Have you ever thought about going on a vacation? Yeah, I have. So what do I got to do? Bro, I can't tell you. It's a secret. I figured out this guy's trying to sell Amway to me. He's got a strategy. It didn't work. I was prepared. I knew what he was going for. Um, one more example about strategies is that this chip company, Doritos, they had an advertisement, I think it was Doritos, maybe it was some kind of other brand, on the side of a road. And we were driving to the store. We were driving to Winco. And we were going to go shopping. Now, I wasn't driving by myself. I was driving with my wife. And we're driving by. We see this billboard. It's got, it says something. Do you got chips or... You must be a thief because you stole my heart. I don't know, something, something cheesy like that. And so we go to the store. We're, we're going through one aisle, second aisle, third aisle. And when you get closer to the checkout aisle, they've got all the chips there. Well, believe it or not, we went and bought some chips. We usually don't buy chips. I don't know. They got us. I've bought a coat that looked cool on Facebook before. I don't know. Maybe you guys bought something on, on, based on an advertisement. These advertisers are good. They have a plan for your money. They have a scheme, a plan, an idea of how to separate you from your money. And it works. Otherwise, they wouldn't be spending so much money into these advertisements to get you. But you know that not just these people have a plan for your life, for your money. The devil also has a plan for your money. And he has a scheme to attack you and to break you away from God. And so a couple areas of life that I just kind of broke up into where the devil can attack us to, to break us away from God is areas of our weakness. It is areas where we have desires and he attacks our mind or the information that we consume. And so before I kind of talk about our life and how the devil attacks us and, and you know what, what's happening with us, I want to go to the scriptures and see how the devil attacked Jesus in these three areas of life. And so we open up the book of Luke, which we read today. 
Thank you to whomever was reading it. And it says the, um, the following from chapter 4, verse 1. And then every time I, we see a, uh, an attack or a scheme of the devil attack Jesus, I'm going to kind of stop and just point it out. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Point, I'm hungry after like three hours. 40 days is a long time. Verse 3, Then the devil said to him, Here's the first one. If you are the Son of God, tell the, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. That was the first one. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Verse 5. Then the devil took him and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you just worship me, if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That was the second one. The third one. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus said, responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Then the devil had finished tempting Jesus. He left him until the next opportunity came. And so these three areas, our weaknesses, our desires, and our mind, and the information we consume. We can see that the devil attacked Jesus in those three areas. In the first part where he attacked him is he told him, hey, take these stones, in which I'm sure there were plenty of them, and take them and make them a piece of bread. Sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Sounds like something Jesus would want. He was hungry. Jesus was hungry. That was one of his weaknesses. He was in human form. He was hungry and he wanted to eat. The second attack that the, the, um, the devil had on Jesus, it, it says, I will give it all to you if you worship me. He attacked his desires. The desire for the glory of the kingdoms and to have authority. And the third part of, that he attacked is he attacked, um, says right here, point three, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to guard and protect you. He attacked his mind, his information source. To be specific, he took the scriptures, quoted scripture, to get Jesus to try to do what he wanted him to do. And so we'll be attacked in our weaknesses, we'll be attacked in our desires, and will be attacked with information, even though it may seem like good information, even scripture. And just kind of to go over those three areas, exploiting our weakness. So this is, so what we're talking about is we're talking about the armor of God, we're talking about the sword of the spirit, which is the Bible. One of those things that we are supposed to use to defend ourselves. And here are areas of our life where we are attacked, and that we will need to use the word of God to defend ourselves and to fight back. Some weaknesses the devil uses to attack us are things that are physical. When people are weak physically or they're sick, 
Um, kind of like, you know, when Job was sick, his wife said, just curse God and die. You know, we've been going on adventure on, after adventure to the hospital. And when you're weak physically, when there's something wrong with you, things really get to you. And sometimes you're not clear in your thinking, and so you maybe want to do things that you shouldn't do. One of our weaknesses I've noticed is, you know, when, when I was a little younger, I thought I had a lot of things under control. The older I get, the more I figure out that I don't have everything under control. There's a lot of things, the majority of things, I don't have under control. And so that's our weakness. And, and when you don't have control over something, that can make you do things that you shouldn't do. You can be attacked emotionally like because you don't feel like doing something. Um, we have fears, and we, you know, we have a fear of not passing a test or not getting a job or fear of the coronavirus or fear to fail or fear of disappointing somebody. And because we have these fears, instead of doing what we should do, according to the Word of God, we start you know, doing things kind of on our own accord and doing things we shouldn't be doing. And you can fill in your own blank. There's a weakness in your life. Everybody, all of us have weaknesses. Of, of, we all have fears. We all have things we struggle with emotionally, um, maybe physically. And the devil will use those things to attack us. The second thing that I've noticed that Jesus was attacked and will be attacked is our desires will be attacked. Our desires to be important, to, to, to have authority, sexual desires. And the way that works is you take, you, take, you take a substitute, you take a good desire that, that God created that people are supposed to have and channel in a good way, and the devil substitutes it with something that looks similar, but it takes you away from God. And one more I want to talk about is the exploiting our mind or our information. And so things that affect our mind, there's many things that affect our mind. It's the culture that we live in. It's interesting that how much the culture that we live in affects how we think. And you can, you can see this, you know, you talk to, uh, you know, our parents, our grandparents, they have one way of thinking, or their, their, their mind is shaped one way. Our mind is shaped a different way. I've noticed, you know, my, my kids from like the age of one, they see a, they see a phone screen and they, they just go bazookas over it. Every generation, every culture, every place has something that influences, influences you. And we're tend to be creatures where we'd like to stick with the group. If everybody's going one way, we tend to go, if everybody's doing it, it must be right. And so when you see this world going in one direction, it's really hard to stand against that. Culture tends to tell you what is, what is right or wrong. So I have an example for, for you. This may not be an example you like, this may be an example you like, I don't know. But here's the example. So a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a thing called Blackout Tuesday. Maybe you've heard of it. 
So if you haven't heard of it, it was a solidarity with the Black Lives Matters movement. And so people would post on their Facebook, on their Instagram, on whatever different pages, they would just post a black screen. What is interesting to me is not that somebody out there, you know, said, hey, let's do this, and a lot of people did it. What really tickled, tickled my funny, if you will, is that a lot of people I know, a lot of people who are my acquaintances and my friends posted something like that on their webpage. And I understand standing, you know, against racism. I understand standing for, for fairness for everybody, for justice and equality. And I'm all for that. That's a great thing. But I think sometimes we take everything, we take bait, hook, line, sinker, the whole thing, and we get caught without, without using this as a filter to see what we're actually doing. So I actually went on, this, on their website today and got this quote. So if you go to, to their website and you go to the About Us section or Who We Are, something along those lines, one of the points that they have, and I copied and pasted, I didn't make any of those words up, it says that one of our goals is that we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement, which means a mom, a dad, and children. Where I'm going with this, that sometimes we can be attacked by things that seem good. They may feel good, they may feel and seem right. But unless and until we take them and we screen them through the word of God, we use that sword, we really need to be careful what we let into our mind. Um, here's so many examples. I can do a political example about people, I won't do that. I've already had a conversation about that today. Um, subculture. Subculture would be things like our Slavic Christian culture. We have a lot of good things, but sometimes we let our subculture dictate what we think is right or wrong and not let the word of God dictate what we think, what we know is right or wrong. Our feelings can dictate and, 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 and harm us actually. You've probably heard the term, follow your heart. Anybody heard that term? Dennis has heard that term. You know that only works if your heart is under the control of God. Because out of all the people that follow their heart, you see how much problems there are in this world. And everybody's following their heart. The Bible says that your heart is wicked, extremely wicked. So unless your heart is made new, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your feelings. In the book of Judges, it says on the very last chapter, the la very last verse, it says, And every person or every man did that which was right according to their own eyes. Uh, paraphrase. That might not be, you know, word for word. And so you can't follow your feelings and, and do, do what you think is right, what you feel is right. And the interesting thing is that even Scripture can be misaligned, twisted, turned around to throw what people nowadays like to call fake news. 
and to bombard you with things, you're like, wow, it's scripture, it's in the Bible, it must be true. Take everything. But we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard. And so what we let, um, if we let these attacks come on us and we don't defend ourselves with the word of God, it affects our judgment. And if we listen to these things, if we listen to the attacks on, you know, on our weaknesses, if we listen and agree and, and align our desires with things that take us away from God, if we listen and agree with information that takes us away from God, it affects our judgment. And the Bible says what it will do is it will harden your heart. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you don't filter things through the word of God, what will happen to you is your heart will become hard. And then when your heart becomes hard, it will affect your judgment. It will affect your worldview. It will affect the way you see things. And the, the, the most important thing that it will do is obscure and hide the truth from you. And the truth is this, that God wants your salvation. He wants my, me to be saved. He wants you to be saved. That's what the Word of God says. And He wants what is best for you. From the perspective of eternity, of course. And so the devil schemes his plans is, is to, to attack you in, in, in your weaknesses, in your desires, in your information, in your mind is to take and obscure to hide that truth from you. And the truth will set you free. The Word of God says the truth will set you free. The sword, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, will set you free. But if you don't use this as a filter, if you don't use this as a ju uh, um, to, to judge things, you will be attacked and you will not be able to stand. And here's what the Word of God says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. If we can uh, put it up in the uh, NASB version first. It says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And so that's kind of hard to understand. So if you don't mind showing that in the message version, and I can kind of think this, this helps clear up what the Word of God does as the sword in our life. And the message version says this, God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen or, and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what? So that's what the Word of God does. Is if we listen to it, if we filter everything through it, it'll open us up. It'll, it'll show us the truth. Going back to the example of Jesus. If you read Luke chapter 4, and, and take a look at this. So the first time the devil says something to him, verse 4 says, But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say... Verse 8 says, Jesus replied, the scriptures say. 
verse 12, it says, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say. What does Jesus use to beat down these attacks from the devil? He's using scripture. He's using the sword. The devil has a scheme. He's out to get him. He's out to get us. But we need to do what Jesus did, is to use the word to defend ourselves. And everything that we do in our life, put it through the filter. The scripture says, and figure out what scripture says about this or that um, thing in our life. And the Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, using the word of God in our life will keep us away from sin. And so, you know, there's, we talked about response to weakness, to desire, and to information. Here's what the Bible says, how Jesus responded to these things. The devil attacked him and says, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But it says, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if we take that and we reference that to the original spot in Deuteronomy, the story was this. That I'll even read it to you. It says that God put Israel through different temptations and through different trials and through different hardships so that they would learn to trust and to obey and to seek for God's help. So yes, we are humans and we do have weaknesses. But the purpose of our weakness is not to get us beat down. The purpose of our weakness is to get us to understand that we really need God. And that we can't make it on our own. Jesus' response to Satan attacking him through desire. And he says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. We need to understand that we, as, you know, whatever desires we have, our ultimate desire should be to worship God. And it's not that it should be, and you know, this is mandated, and this is what you have to do. But I think the closer we come to God, the more we understand, the more we see that we want to worship Him. Because He is so much greater than we are. Um, response to information. It says, Jesus said, you should not test the Lord your God. Again, it's talking in reference to the Israelites. And they were responding to God, um, leading them through the wilderness and feeding them based on how they felt. God gave them a word and they said, well, we don't know if this word is true or not. We'll just kind of do things based on how we feel. And our response and uh, needs to be through the word of God. This needs to be the foundation that we stand on. And if we stand on it and hold on to it, we'll able be, be able to see things in a clear light. The Apostle Paul came to a certain people and he started preaching the gospel to them. And these people listened to him and listened to him and listened to him. And they said... Um, and the Bible says in Acts 17, it says that they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You can say, but he's the apostle. I mean, of course he'd be speaking the truth. But Paul commends them and says, good job. You guys went out of your way and you checked, are these things true, which I'm telling you. 
And so here I'd like for every one of you just to look at yourself and say, where, where you have those three dots, put your name in there. Mark examined the scriptures every day to see what, and instead of Paul, substitute that with whatever information is coming at you and said, said was true. Through the filter of the Bible. We could do something like Mark examined the scriptures every day to see if what Trump said was true. I don't know. Mark examined the scriptures every day to see if, to see if what Dennis was, is true. If what one movement said was true, if another movement was said was true. Put your name in there. And see, are you like these people who were wise, who checked the scriptures to see if things were true? Do you filter things through the word of God? How we, how we interpret things de determines our worldview. We need to take this word, know it, read it, and judge our culture, our, our subculture, our, our work, everything we do through the word of God. Not through our feelings, not through our emotions. And the last thing I wanted to say, I found this funny little drawing. Obedience, just do it. It doesn't have to make sense to you only to God. Once we know that everything we do needs to be filtered through the word of God, and we know what is right, we, we study it, the last step is we just have to obey it. We have to follow through with it. And so things we've talked about today is that God has given us his word so that we can stand strong against the schemes of the devil, which he has to break us down, to beat us up. The devil will attack our weaknesses, our desires, our mind, just like he attacked Jesus. But those things in our life aren't meant to break us down and to take us away from God. Our weaknesses, our desires, our mind, our, the information that we get are meant to bring us closer to God. And the way that happens is if we take everything in our life and we filter it and we judge it through and by the word of God. Let's pray. And ask God to help us judge everything in our life through the word of God. Not to let any falsehoods or our feelings or our emotions or what people say or any kind of weakness that we may be going through to take us apart from God, but to come to him and let those things bring us towards him. Amen.